uh, an episode where I experienced a, a, a kind or personal touch um, of somebody when I was in need. And um, I think one of the not good stories on my side, but uh, a, a possibly a good illustration was the time where I was riding my motorcycle without my helmet. Uh, and, and of course, it was safe because we were just trying to move cattle through this open field. And um, I found one of the large rock piles in said field and uh, launched off of the, our little Trail 90 and lit on my head. And so I had a whole bunch of um, kind of a mess on the side of my face. And uh, you guys will love this because I was fairly new up in the Enius Valley. And so the first thing that came through my head was, oh, man, there's rattlesnakes all through these rocks. So I get up and start moving because I'm worried about rattlesnakes. And I noticed that, like, I don't know if you guys have passed out before, but uh, your vision starts getting very narrow and you start getting really dizzy. Anyway, so I laid down in the field and they hauled me into the hospital. And the, the doctor that I had the very f the first night when I got there, he was particularly poor at bedside manner. Um, one, he wasn't he was not fond of my act my activities. He was uh, equally not fond of my transport style at that point because somebody just threw me in their car and ran me down there. He thought I should have been in an ambulance. And uh, we get there, and he's in helping me. At one point, he comes in, and the nurses are cleaning up the wounds. He's like, you guys can go. I've got this. And I swear he found some SOS pads <laughs> to try and clean this thing out. He was just, I mean, he was scrubbing on my head to the point where the, the gals came in later and were apologizing for the treatment that I received that evening. Well, in contrast to that, the next morning, I met Dr. Thrasher who turned out to be one of my favorite doctors. And uh, the only, uh, some of you will appreciate this, the only one I thought more highly of was Dr. Ford, but I had to leave him behind when we moved out to Enius Valley, but that's just how life goes, I guess. And uh, Dr. Thrasher walks in, and he looks right at me and goes, well, we ran all the tests, and it is true. Uh, we didn't find anything up there when we were scanning for any brain activity. <laughs> And I laughed. I'm like, man, I like you a lot. And he goes, but I promise, doctor-patient confidentiality, I won't tell your bride. <laughs> now, you look at me and you say, man, what's, what's the difference? The, the, in my experience, here comes Dr. Thrasher, who didn't know me, who wasn't part of the, didn't you know, bring me in, didn't know any of the injuries. He's reading a report, and he comes in and engages me, and we end up laughing and connecting, and, and he was just awesome to deal with. And what I noticed in interacting with the nurses, and my bride actually ended up working at this hospital later, she spoke very highly of him because of how he treated people and the way in which he cared for people. And there was a, a personal touch that he brought to everything he did in the hospital. Um, in fact, the, uh, they were looking for him to come and release me, and they found him telling jokes in the nurse's lounge that particular day. He was down entertaining the nursing staff, so I got to stay an extra hour uh, in the hospital that day. Of course, I appreciated that because I like jokes myself. So, But the personal touch, when in your life have you experienced that intimate personal touch, somebody that took a moment to stop and care for you? All of us have different scenarios, different times, different places. My, mine, I, I used a, a, you know, a medical issue, but there's many other times that I've experienced people who have engaged me in a meaningful way. I didn't feel like a number. I didn't feel like I was just a process for them. 
And it's very interesting, I think, if, as we read the text this morning, we're going to see that in Jesus, and we're actually going to look at another text that, that speaks about a very similar uh, moment, but kind of from a different perspective. And I think we'll see that uh, depending on how you evaluate or how you approach the system or even how you tell the story, it can come across completely differently. Mark's taking us on a very personal moment with Jesus in the life of this particular man, this this individual who is deaf and has a speech impediment. Mark's showing us, I believe, a, a very particular aspect of who Jesus is. So would you read with me this morning Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 31? We're going to pick up the story right there. So Mark 7, verse 31. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hands on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Ephatha, that is, be open. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Now, the first thing that I want to look at today is that uh, in this process, we actually see Jesus fulfilling prophecy. It's interesting that as he's going through healing all these people, this is uh, in Mark's account, this is one of the first times that we see uh, the, the idea that Jesus has done things well. We've seen him uh, doing supernatural and prophetic things. We've been watching him do these things and, and miraculous things that are amazing to people. And we'll, we'll look at that just briefly. But one of the first things that we see in this <clears throat> As we as we we're going to start kind of from the back and work to the front and then back to the back again, which is just how my brain works. So hang on. But it's amazing because in verse 37, he says the people were standing beyond measure saying he does all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak, which up to this point, what did we see him do uh, with Jairus's daughter? She was dead and he brought her back to life, right? And yet, so why is it such a big deal that he makes the deaf, the mute speak and the deaf hear? Why is that such a big deal? Well, because it's fulfilling prophecy. And in fact, if you uh, turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 35, verse 1, we're going to see some of this prophecy. And there's more, but we're going to just look at this one. Isaiah chapter 35, verse 1. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. And they shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. 
And it continues on. But one of the prophecies that we see Israel given about the coming Lord is this idea that the mute will be able to speak, the deaf will hear, the lame will walk. Were they in a spot where they needed hope? Right? In captivity, in slavery, they, they were experiencing great pain. When you, when you read this thing about them, uh, tell the anxious heart to be strong and fear not. Man, we could, we could use some of that encouragement and that reminder even today, right? And so when the people are astonished by the movements of Jesus, a good, faithful Jewish person would see these things and go, Hey, I've read something about that. Do you guys ever do that in your Bible? Something happens and you're like, there's a scripture with that somewhere. Can you imagine the faithful Jewish follower who's watching this stuff happen going, the text talks about this. We've heard about these things. Could this be? Could this be him? In Matthew 15, 29 through 31, we, we actually read uh, uh, the story uh, about Jesus episode healing many right before the, the feeding a, of the 4,000. Um, which is a, right about the same time frame as where we're at here in Mark. So Matthew chapter 15, verse 29. And it says this, Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on a mountain and sat down. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the cripple, and the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them, so that the crowds wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the cripple healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seen, and they glorified the God of Israel. I can only, uh, my guess is, this is and I'm, my, my assumption that their wonderment was, is this the Messiah? You see how they specifically referenced all four things that are referenced in Isaiah? They're, they're, ref, they're speaking of those things going, could this be, is this the one? What I love about this particular story is in Matthew, Matthew and Mark kind of have a different approach to that whole story, right? Uh, Jesus, Jesus in Mark, he's taking this one individual aside and he's, he's engaging him, and we'll look at that for just a second. But in Matthew, Matthew just says, man, everybody's coming, they're laying all these people in his feet and he's healing all of them. Is this the one? He's, he's doing all these miraculous things. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen stories like that. Have you ever had two boys try and tell the same story? You've never been blessed with creativity until you have two boys trying to recount the same story. In fact, my brother and I, it's, it's kind of funny now, um, both of us getting uh, more mature in our um, age. And uh, one of the things we've noticed is that our stories have changed. Like the things that we remember as kids are not quite the same. And we would, we would tell the same story, but oftentimes they would have completely different uh, uh, details woven in the middle of them hopefully coming to a fairly similar conclusion, but oftentimes with many different uh, little tracks and, and variations. In fact, one particular story is something along the lines of my driving being so dangerous and scary. And I, I, keep, I always look back at them as, well, well why did you get in the car? If it was that bad. Um, anyway, there's probably some truth on both sides of that. But when we look at stories, when we look at people retelling accounts, 
we can see a difference in this. And what we see, the, di- the difference I think that we see in Mark is this personal touch of Jesus, right? He takes this man and he takes him aside and he begins to put his hands on him and physically engage him in his area, in his weakness, in the, in the, in the needs that he has. And I don't know if, if you experience this like I do. There's times where I think in my head, man, they... It'd almost be better if I could just be there, right? If, if, if Jesus would just show up, just, just speak to me in person today. If, I don't, have you guys ever said that in the midst of a situation? Man, Lord, it'd be, if, just hear your voice. If you just come and show up today. And we miss so much the truth that he resides in us every day, that we're, we're in his presence, we are in the company of his body, and therefore in great condition. But in this story, in this moment, we see a personal side of Jesus. Do you think that that would be tough for him? Just imagine for yourself for one minute, you're the most popular guy on the planet at least in your area. Everybody wants to touch you. Not talk to you. Everybody wants to put their hands on you. Anybody want out of that yet? I know some of you introverts are like, oh, I'm not an introvert, and I'm looking at that going, oh, man, no, thank you. I I would not want people around me like that. I would not want that to be, that would drive me nuts. I want some downtime, and yet here Jesus is in that environment where everybody wants a piece of him. I I think my tendency would be to quickly establish some kind of system of evaluation of, you know, how many people are within close proximity to me, what hours of the day that's happening. We would have a system for that, and there would be a process, and those with lesser problems would be dealt with with, the, with my, you know, with the, the workers that we've been training, and we'd, we'd create a good system where, where we wouldn't be getting eaten up by people, right? I'm not the only one. You guys got to be with me on this, right? At least one of you has to be with me on this idea. There's no way we would just, we would just make ourselves completely available. And in the midst of this ministry process, Jesus is at the pinnacle of his ministry where everyone from every region is coming. That's what Mark's already shared with us. People are coming from everywhere to try and touch him because they're being healed. And it's in this moment that Jesus stops and takes this man aside. Now, my guess is that this is probably happening more than once. My guess is what we're seeing from Mark is an is an a glimpse into the kind of care that Jesus was giving to people as they came to him. We saw that with the woman who had the discharge for 12 years. She touched him and he stopped the whole procession to go and and save this little girl that was dying and turned and stopped and engaged her in a personal interaction. And he called her out of the midst of a crowd and his disciples were like, "Are are you nuts? Who touched you? Remember the way in which he engaged her. What a personal touch. I believe that one of the, the key elements of this is that we actually get to see in this picture the real compassion of Jesus. If you turn to, to John chapter 11, we're going to come back here in just a minute, but I just want you to see John chapter 11, uh, verse 33. 
Jesus is moved by people's needs. Jesus is moved by people's circumstances. In John chapter 11, verse 33, he says this, When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Now, this is a story around Lazarus, and we're going to look more at that in just a second as we consider the personal touch of Jesus. But Jesus has deep compassion for people in their needs when they're hurting. And we know that. We watch him engage in this process. And one of the things that I was wrestling with is I was thinking about the personal touch. How is it that he is so good at this personal compassion thing? Uh, again, this is just my own twisted mind. But if I created it all and it rebelled against me, y'all be dead. When my dog doesn't do what I want him to do, not a happy camper. When my cars don't do what I want them to do, right? Again, am I the only one? Thank you. Some of you are looking at me like, oh, what's wrong with you? Can you imagine if we created everything? You speak it into existence. You're pure. You have no sin. You have done nothing, nothing to warrant. <laughs> Man, imagine how we respond to people that do things to us when we behave poorly. We still get mad at them. Here's God who's engaging a creation that it's in rebellion to him. Jesus, his son, comes and is offering hope and life. And he's being rejected. I just think this idea of showing compassion is profound. This personal touch of Jesus in the midst of this, in the midst of a broken culture that is dying in their sins and that is wrecked by, by the presence of sin and the enemy. So it made me think, what, why is he so compassionate? How is it that he is modeling this? And what jumped into my head as I was wrestling through this process was uh, Hebrews, actually. Hebrews chapter 4, where it talks about Christ as our high priest, right? We're going to look at that for just a second. I, I want us to be encouraged and reminded that I, I believe this is one of the reasons that he is so compassionate. Besides it being his character, he's also modeling for us this truth. But we don't have a compassionate Messiah just because he decided to be compassionate. Look at what Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14, says. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Did you catch that? Our high priest, he is able to sympathize with us in our weakness because he was experienced in every respect the same temptations that we do. 
So when we think about Jesus who understands and, and shows compassion to those of us that are struggling in life, those of us that are dealing with anxiety and fear and, 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 and temptation to sin and frustration, anger, all, all of these different things that we may experience, Jesus himself came and experienced in every respect the same temptations that we do, but he was without sin. But that's the compassion that this high priest brings into our relationship with the Lord. That's a little encouraging, right? That's what Jesus walked through on this earth for you, for me, for the world in obedience to his Father. He can sympathize with our weaknesses. He understands who we are. He understands how we were made. In every respect, he has been tempted. He's experienced those temptations yet without sin. That's the high priest that you and I engage in our relationship with God in. That's who Jesus is who went to the cross for you and for me. That's the Jesus of this story that stopped and took a deaf man and a man with a speech impediment, took him aside and touched his ears and touched his tongue. What an incredibly personal, intimate experience that this man had with Jesus. In that idea of of Jesus experiencing compassion and uh, the my our fourth point today is that Jesus wept and and um on top of uh, I think what is it uh give thanks always um our two favorite verses right we're going to read the rest of, we're going to look at the rest of the story of Lazarus because I think it's important for us to recognize a couple of you just important aspects of what Jesus is doing, and how he engages with us. Uh, John chapter 11, again, starting in verse 33. Um, we'll catch the story up. We're, we're at Lazarus, uh, uh, like three, almost four days after Jesus was told that he was sick, and they asked him to come, and he, he waited, and, and then Lazarus dies, and now Jesus is showing up, and the girls are pretty upset, and and they're mourning his death, and Jesus shows up, and and engages them in this. And so we're going to read uh, John chapter 11, 33 through verse 44. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, couldn't. Not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud, loud voice, Lazarus, come forth, or come out. 
The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linens, strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Why was Jesus weeping? Kind of seems pointless to me. Was he just a weak man? Just a crier? He was going to raise him in just a few moments, right? In fact, we even know in his dialogue there, he's talking to the Lord going, Lord, I, I'm, you know I'm saying this for them because I already know you. I, I already got my relationship with you. I'm just saying this so that they'll understand that you have sent. Do you see what he's, what he's doing in that process? And yet in the midst of that, in the midst of him knowing he's raising Lazarus, in the midst of that pain, Jesus is weeping with the believers that are there. Their pain, their experience moved him. That's the Messiah that we are watching in the gospel of Mark make his way to the cross for you and for me. That's incredible. Now, now I want to, I want to, there's a, there's the, the a flip side to that. Yes, we see the passion. We see him weep for the loss. I believe that Jesus is deeply moved by the things that we experience, the loss, the pain, the heartache that we experience. He's moved by those. In the same way, I think he's moved by our choices to, to willfully sin. I believe it causes him grief as well. But as a, a loving father would, and as I, I believe Jesus would do as well, we see in Hebrews chapter 5 a, a pretty important aspect. As we think about the compassion of God, as we think about His personal touch, I want us to remember, and I think we need to be very aware of this as we go through life. Although Jesus is filled with compassion, and, and God, I think, is filled with compassion as well, God does not always remove the pain that we experience, right? And, and look at what he does in, in Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 1. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obeyed him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. The challenge for you and for me, I believe, is actually being in a relationship and understanding who God is, that when he does not remove the pain or when he does not resolve the issue that we may place in front of him, crying out for him to resolve, that we're trusting that he's doing what's best for us to build in us a perfect, 
a, a perfect maturity that he's designed and called us to. We see it even with his own son, Jesus, of all the people that would pray on this earth, of anyone that would approach God with the right heart and with the right mind and the, with the right purpose and will behind what he's doing, it says that his prayers were not answered as far as death being removed from him. But through his suffering, he learned obedience. Verse 9, 7, being made perfect, he became the source of eternal life to all who obey him. Although God is filled with compassion, and I believe God is moved by the things that hurt us, the things that excite us, I believe that he is emotionally, personally connected to our lives. We should not mistake that passion and that personal touch. Or we should not be deceived by the fact that if he doesn't do or remove these things from us, that somehow he's not still loving us, that he's not still that passionate and and caring personal God. Because as, as a good father, he would do what's best for us for eternity, for the eternal purposes of our lives, and allow things that may be painful. To accomplish in us that which he has predestined us to be, which is sons and daughters of the King. Isn't it amazing that they end this text with he does all things well? I love the fact that what we watch happening throughout this text, throughout the gospel, is people saying, wow, that's amazing. Wow. Can you believe what's happening? In fact, in Matthew chapter 9, verses 32 and 33, it says this. Um, in response to Jesus, as he's uh, healing a man unable to speak, um, Matthew chapter 9, verse 32, As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed uh, a man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. And then the Pharisees went on to say that, well, it's just because he's got demons. <laughs> he's casting out demons by demons. And, and they have a whole dialogue that follows up. But did you see what they said? The people are marveling at what they're seeing Jesus do. Never was anything like this seen in Israel. What Jesus is doing, the process that he's, that he's accomplishing, the work that he's doing is bringing people to wonderment and awe. Beginning to ask the question, who is he? And this story that we started with ends with, he even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. They, they seem to understand the prophetic power and truth of what Jesus is doing. So I, I was thinking to myself, how do, we, how do we wrap up a morning that talks about the spiritual intimacy of God in engaging you and me, of, of being moved by our experiences, but being passionate in his process with us, being a good father that leads us to truth, that leads us past even just our feelings, but towards maturity. And the, the passage that jumped out to me was Romans chapter 8. And so if you would turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, we're going to close with this text this morning.
starting in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among, among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Is, it is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Brothers and sisters, as we consider what it means to walk with Jesus this week in our culture, in this time, in, in whatever situation that we find ourselves in, whether it's, whether it's physical issues, emotional issues, cultural issues, work-related, financial, whatever the challenges are that we face in this place, we serve a holy God who loved us enough to send his son to the cross for you and for me, and he weeps at the pain and the sorrow that we have, and yet he loves us enough to finish the work that he started to make us sons. What a joyous thing that that is. What a privilege it is to have a personal God. And I don't know what encouragement you need this week. I, I don't know if, if you're at the top of, of the spiritual life thing, knowing the presence of God, and you need to engage somebody else this week and say, it's going to be okay, you're going to make it. You may be at the bottom of that barrel and need somebody to come alongside and say, it's going to be okay. You're going to make it. Whatever that is, we are the extension of Christ, given to support, to care for, to love one another as Christ did on this earth. It is our privilege to do that for one another here, to do that for one another's out there. So would you evaluate in your own heart with me this week, 
where you're at. If you're in need of encouragement, I want to really encourage you, one, to let us know. You got the, you got the communication card. You can send us an, a, a prayer request right through the app now. You, it gets right to the elders. You, you just need to let us know. We will pray with you. We will encourage you. If you're full of it, in a good way, let me know. I'll send you out to give encourage other people. We need to be this extension of the body of Christ. Jesus is a personal Messiah. He's a personal King. What a privilege it is to be part of His kingdom. I hope that this is an encouragement to you. It was for me. What a joy it is to see this side of Jesus, to see this side of our, God, our Heavenly Father who loved us enough cares enough to engage us in this way. Lord, we are grateful for your gift. I am thankful that you are personal, that you know the things that bring pain. You know the things that bring joy. You are moved by the sorrows and the heartaches in your creation. I thank you especially, Lord, that through your Son, you have predestined our likeness to him and that you through your spirit are accomplishing those things even when I don't want them. I thank you for that. Father, I pray this morning as we consider what it means to be your body, as we consider what it means to have a high priest who can understand our weaknesses, who is sympathetic to them because of all the ways in which you, Lord Jesus, were tempted and tested here on this earth. I pray, Father, that we would come to you, that we would pour out our hearts to you, that we would bow our lives before you. And that, God, this week, if we are able to encourage someone else in the body, that you would give us the words and the opportunity, and if, Lord, we are in need of encouragement, that you would give us the boldness and the trust to reach out and ask. Father, the word says that the world will know that we are your disciples by how we love one another. I pray this, this week specifically as we're meeting with different people, uh, some of our neighbors even, God, that we would be a place that re reflects your love reflects your truth. That the world would not be able to be in contact with us without seeing you. Thank you for all you have done. May it overwhelm us this week as we consider these truths in your name.